Good morning, Bethesda. In case you did not already know it, today is Pentecost Sunday. And I know it's not going to come as any surprise to any of you, but I want to talk to you this morning about Pentecost and the day of Pentecost. If you're able and if you're willing, would you stand with me? We're going to read two passages of Scripture. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19, and then chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And then, of course, we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So let's start in chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it with fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke with, and God answered him with thunder. Now chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Now to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And then together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be filled with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed for his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Father, it is in the great name of Jesus the name that is above every name, that we boldly come to your throne this morning. And we are asking you, my Father, that there would be a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this house today. We are asking, my Father, that there would be a fresh fire brought to the altar of our hearts and our lives. We are asking you, my Father, that you would shake us up for the glory of God, that you would shake us up, my Father, that we be, would become the bold witnesses that you have destined and intended for us to be. So this morning, Jesus, hide me behind the cross. 
that your word can go forth and the name of Jesus can be glorified. Father, simply what we're saying is let your kingdom come this morning and let it keep on coming that the name of Jesus would be glorified. For it is in his great name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When Stuart and I first got married, as with all newly married couples, we had a lot to discover about each other. Now, I have two switches, on and off. Stuart has multiple switches, on, a little on, completely on, a little off, mostly off, and completely off. But I just have the two. I'm either on or I'm off. And we discovered together that he's a lot like Eeyore and I'm a lot like Tigger. <laughs> and this morning, and that, that is completely fine because we need Eeyores in this world. Because if we were all Tiggers, I think we would drive each other quite crazy. When we first got married, we lived in Colleyville and I was making one of his aunt's recipes. And it's called, the recipe's called Little Red Hen and it is maybe one of the most aromatic things that you can possibly cook. It's filled with herbs and filled with spices, and just the moment it starts simmering in the oven, it permeates the atmosphere with all the good smells you could possibly imagine. So Stuart, telling me that this is one of his favorite things to eat, he walks in from work, and he takes a deep breath, and I look at him and I said, what do you think? And he said, I think I'm having hallucinations. <laughs> Because this smells so good. All of you can identify with that. You can smell something and it immediately, immediately starts making you think of things. It, when you smell something and it smells really good, it can stir up appetite within you. If we were all to smell something incredibly delicious right now, our stomachs would probably start growling and we would probably have a sense of, I am hungry and I must eat. I share that story with you this morning because what I want to do, what I believe the Lord has asked me to do this morning is I want to stir up an appetite within you. I want to create or generate such an aroma of the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit that none of us are willing to walk out of this house this morning without having a fresh portion of the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In order to accomplish this, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to start with what I call the academic. Now, the academic is where I'm going to make you feel like you're in seminary for just a few minutes because I need to lay some groundwork. The second thing I'm going to do, we're going to talk about application because our God is a practical God. The Holy Spirit does not come upon individuals for entertainment and personal pleasure. The Holy Spirit comes upon men and women so that they can complete and do the job that God has called them to do. It is an empowering and an enabling for us to simply do what Jesus is asking us to do. And we must be aware of the application. And then I want to talk to you about awakening, awakening a hunger within our hearts and within the deepest part of our spirit for that which is of the Lord. So let's get started. Let's go with the academic. No one fall asleep on me for the next couple of minutes. The first Pentecost is not Acts chapter 2. The first Pentecost that's recorded in Scripture actually goes back to Exodus chapter 19. If you were Jewish, you would refer to this particular festival as Shavuot. 
And Shavuot is one of seven feasts that are mentioned in Scripture. Shavuot is called Feast of Weeks. It occurs 50 days after Passover. And Pentecost, which basically means the same thing, indicates that 50 days after the Passover, that's when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. There are seven biblical feasts that are listed for us in the book of Exodus. Three of them are in the spring. One is late spring to early summer. And then the last three are in the fall. The three spring feasts, you'll already be familiar with one of them. It's Passover. And right after Passover is unleavened bread. And right after unleavened bread is first fruits. Now we celebrate this in the spring during what we call our Easter service. And it captures everything from, or it speaks to us of everything from Jesus being the sacrificial lamb of the Father to the crucifixion to the resurrection. And those first three spring feasts address those those ideas in detail. But then 50 days after the Passover, we have Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. The first recorded Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, of course, is in Exodus 19. This holiday, this celebration, this festival is also called a Feast of Harvest. It occurs typically during a harvest season or a harvest time. The last three feasts, which are the fall feasts, are going to be the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, or Tabernacles. But let me rein us back in to look at this festival that falls in the middle. Because here's what Marty thinks. This is my opinion and my speculation. The first three feasts were accomplished with the first coming of Jesus. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This This middle feast, the fourth one or the one in the middle, Shavuot or Pentecost, it was accomplished when the Holy Spirit came upon the church or the followers of Jesus Christ in the second chapter of Acts. I believe we have as of yet to see the last three fulfilled. Trumpets? Doesn't that sound a lot like Thessalonians with the blast of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel? The return of Christ? And what about Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day when we stand before the Lord and we know the ultimate cleansing of our sin? And what about Sukkot, the time of dwelling or tabernacling? But let me back up and pull us back to Pentecost. Ancient Israel had two harvests, one in the summer and one in the fall, or I should say one in the early summer and one in the fall. They, had, they needed two harvests because if something happened with weather or famine or any other thing, plague, then they always had another harvest that they could rely on. But they had two harvests, one in the late spring, early summer, which is Pentecost, and one in the fall. Some of you may be aware of this, but if we were Jewish, we would be reading the book of Ruth right now because the book of Ruth is read during Pentecost. Now, I have wondered for such a long time, why in the world would you read the book of Ruth during the Feast of Pentecost? And then it hit me because it has to do with harvest. It is believed that Boaz and Ruth became engaged at the end of the first harvest and they were married at the end of the second harvest. Selah. The Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, 
has come to bring about harvest. You don't have to read far into the book of Acts to realize that one of the main demonstrations and affirmation that the Holy Spirit has come is the fact that men and women get saved and they come to faith in Christ Jesus. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 16, Shavuot or Pentecost is a festival of harvest and Ruth is read at this time. In Exodus, the giving of the law and in Acts chapter two, we have the giving of the Spirit. I believe that you can see in both Exodus 19 and in Acts chapter two, an entering into covenant and a betrothal between God and his people. In Exodus 19, again, we have the first recorded Pentecost. And what happens there is that boundaries are given for moral and righteous living. Whenever God comes, there will always be boundaries given. You can call it law, you can call it love, but the fact remains, we serve a God who is holy, and if we are going to follow after him, if we are going to be wholly his, then there will have to be some moral boundaries in our life. In Exodus chapter 19, right and wrong are made clear. We are beginning to more and more live in a place of moral grayness. But when you get into the book when you allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life, that which is gray and nebulous becomes more clear because God makes right and wrong absolutely clear. Everything that this book says that is right is right and everything this book says that is wrong, it's wrong. You can vote on it, you can pass laws and you can try to legislate sin but at the end of the day, it will still be sin. And it's time for us as followers and believers in Jesus Christ, as a people who believe in and love Pentecost and all that comes with it, it is time for us to get into the word of God and say yes where God says yes and to say no where God says no. When this people in Exodus chapter 19, when they agreed to the conditions of the law, they became the covenant people of God. They were transformed. They went from being runaway slaves with Pharaoh chasing after them and they became the chosen people of God. You cannot enter into a relationship with God and stay the same. Change will be on your menu. With Exodus 19 and the giving of the law, there was the privilege of being the chosen people of God, but there was also the responsibility of being a man or a woman who kept the law of God. In verses 18 through 20 of Exodus 19, as we read, they were gathered together in one place. They were assembled around the mountain of God. And by the way, throughout scripture, mountain represents government. Fire appeared. The place was shaken. There was a loud sound and there was thunder. It sounds a lot like another recorded Pentecost. The second recorded Pentecost is the giving of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, power was given to those people who were following Jesus. I need to take a sidebar here for just a moment. In our culture, there are many voices and there are many people saying, this is the way, that's the way, here's the way and there's the way, here's a God, there's a God, everywhere there's a God these days. Let me give you a major distinction 
between Christianity and the God of Christianity and that of all other gods. All other gods seek to take power away from those who follow. They seek to take power from. It is only the God of Christianity that seeks to give power to. Amen. That's a good place to clap. God has legitimate, authoritative power. A person who has authority, who has power, can be free to release others to have authority and to have power. God, because he has all authority and all power, he's willing to share it with us. Now again, there is both responsibility and privilege with that. But power was given to the disciples, not power to go and do tricks and to entertain, power to walk uprightly with the Lord, power to declare the gospel with boldness and authority, power to be obedient to what the Father was saying to them. Church, we have power. We have power to walk with Jesus. We have power to be obedient to him. We have power to accomplish everything that he sets before us. Not only was power given, but gifts were released. Again, gifts, not toys to play with, but gifts to do the work with, to do the work and the will of the Father. There was boldness given that they could proclaim the gospel. Revelation was given. When you read through the second chapter of Acts, what you find is about the first fourth of the book is about the event on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter gives his explanation. These men are not drunk, like you may suppose, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is that which was written by the prophet Joel. But over half the second chapter of Acts is about Jesus. As soon as Peter gives an explanation of this is that, he then turns the attention, this Jesus. And then everything else is about Jesus. Church, hear me. That man, that woman that is authentically filled with the Holy Spirit, they will do talking about Jesus, doing what Jesus has asked them to do, thinking about Jesus. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about bringing attention and focus on the person of the Son of God. This random group of people, composed of both men and women, every age you can imagine, young, old, and everything in between, every educational level you could imagine, from the very well-educated to the not educated at all, every group, impoverished, wealthy, Jews, and non-Jews, they were brought into the kingdom of God and they became the church of Jesus. That's still what Pentecost does. Pentecost still gathers every man, every woman, every child, every ethnicity, every background you can imagine and brings us into the kingdom of God that we might be called the sons and daughters of the living God. In Acts chapter two, verses one through 17, they were gathered together in one place. They were in the upper room in Jerusalem. They heard a loud sound. There was fire and the place was shaken. You cannot help but see the overlap and the similarities between Exodus 19 and Acts chapter 2. Let's move to the application now. Whenever you see in the New Testament 
a reference to the Holy Spirit, it's always about what he is doing in and through the life of the believer. In Romans 8, chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 1, we are called upon to walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust and the desires of the flesh. If you're here this morning and you are having trouble walking with the Lord, get filled with the Holy Spirit because if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the things of the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we are told to pray with the Spirit. If you have difficulty voicing your concerns, making your petitions known to God, knowing how to pray or what to pray, the Holy Spirit will help you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we are to be led by the Spirit. We're not led by opinions. We're not led by good ideas. We're not led by surveys that are taken. We are led by the Spirit of God as individuals, as individuals and corporately as the body of Christ. We are led by the Spirit. So if you feel like you don't know what direction to go in, if you feel like right now you've got to make some changes but you don't know what they are, be filled with the Holy Spirit because He is the one that will lead you. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Sovereign God is upon me, and He has anointed me. He has empowered me to preach the gospel. If you feel like the things that are in front of you are more than what you can do in and of yourself, you are absolutely right. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then He empowers you to do what the Father is asking you to do. We're anointed by the Spirit. We are so touched by God and so moved by God that we do the things that he has called us to do from an unction that comes from on high. John chapter 3 verse 5 says that we are born of the Spirit. That we are not born of the flesh, even though we are physical beings and we have been physically born. But to be a Christian, you must be born of the Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit that births us forth into the kingdom of God. John chapter 6, verse 63 says that we are to be quickened by the Spirit. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if he dwells in you, then he will quicken your mortal bodies. Church, we need a quickening in this day. We need for the Holy Spirit to move and shake and rattle and so disrupt the ordinary in our life. We need to be quickened by the Spirit of God. John chapter 14, verse 17, declares that he is the Spirit of truth. I have never in my lifetime of 60 plus years, I have never seen so much deception. I only have to listen out there for a few minutes and the deception comes in like waves. I need the spirit of truth because I need for him to lead me and to direct me and to witness within me that this is truth and this is not. We need for him to be the spirit of truth in and through our lives. John 15, 26, he is the spirit of comfort. The Hebrew word for comfort is naham, and it means to breathe life into again. I look out across this auditorium this morning, and I know there are those of you who are joining us online. The last two years have been devastating emotionally. 
We need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We need for him to come and breathe life into us again. Church, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10 says that he is the spirit of wisdom. This is not the wisdom of this world. This is a wisdom that comes only from above, that comes from the Father. I need his wisdom and so do you. We try so often to make decisions and choices and to move in one direction or the other based on what seems right and feels right to us, but we need the wisdom that comes from above. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39, the Spirit caught up Philip and took him away. We need to get caught up in the Spirit. Now what I mean by this, Philip literally got translated from one geographic location to another. We need to get so caught up in the spirit that we're not caught up in the garbage of this world anymore. We need to be so caught up in the spirit that we are no longer caught up in gossip, in rumors, in offenses. Some of you in this house this morning, you are so caught up in offenses and hurt that you cannot see the mighty work that God is doing in your life. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I tell you from personal experience, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with offense at the same time. And when I look at it like that, it is easy for me to let go of the offense because I would rather be caught up in the Spirit than caught up in what I think someone did or didn't do. Is that too hard? Thank you. In Acts chapter 10, verse 19, it's the Holy Spirit that reveals the plans and the mysteries of God. I know what all the news broadcasts are saying is about to happen, but I put that somewhere way off to the side because I need to hear from the Father how to plan for the days ahead. And it's not a future filled with fear. It's not a future filled with panic and anxiety. It is a future filled with him and with his presence. It is a future filled with hope for who he is and what he can do. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 21, verse 4, the Spirit prevents us and holds us in place until the appointed time. Some of you think that God has shut you down. He has not shut you down, baby. He is just holding you still before you run off and hurt yourself. (laughs) It's the Spirit sometimes that prevents us and holds us in place until the time that's appointed by the Father. You guys remember the story? Paul and Silas, they tried to go in every direction. But one night, Paul finally had a dream. And the Holy Spirit said to him, Paul, come over here, come over here, and showed him Macedonia. Paul went to Macedonia, and you would think that as soon as he got to Macedonia, people would be shouting and applauding and getting saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as he got to Macedonia, he was followed around by a woman with a familiar spirit, had to cast a devil out of her, got thrown in prison, shackled and chained, because he did what God told him to do. But at the end of the day, that entire city knew a revival. The Macedonian jailer and his entire family accepted Christ. Sometimes we do not understand why God says this way and not that way, and we go this way, and it doesn't meet with happy pills. 
and wonderful things. It meets with trials and tribulations and troubles. But church, hear me. The Holy Spirit knows how to hold us in place unto the appointed time of the Father. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that frees us from the law of sin and of death. I didn't have time to give you great detail this morning, but in Exodus 19, 3,000 people decide that they are not going to follow this God that has revealed himself to Moses through the Ten Commandments. And 3,000 people die. On the day of Pentecost, spirit and life comes and 3,000 people get saved. The law of the spirit is life in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the spirit frees us from condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he is the spirit of adoption that allows my heart to now cry out, Abba, Father. I am not someone who barely got in. I'm not someone that the Father just allows to be in. I am a daughter of the Most High God because the spirit of adoption has brought me into the fold. Romans chapter 15, verse 30, he is the spirit of of unity. When the Holy Spirit is present and moving, it may cause some separation, but it will always bring about unity. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4, he is the giver of gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22, the Holy Spirit seals us and he is the down payment for what is yet to come. Think about this. If the Holy Spirit is the down payment, is it any wonder that we will need glorified bodies in order to receive the full thing? Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17, the Holy Spirit sets us free. There is no bondage. There is no slavery in the Spirit because He sets us free in Christ Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when the Spirit is filling the life of a man or a woman, it will result in the production of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all love talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're fun, they're interesting, they're exciting. But church, we need to be just as excited about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because just as surely as gifts are evidence of the presence and outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the production of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is just as much an indication that He is alive and moving in our lives. We need to be men and women producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, the Holy Spirit gives us access to the Father. For we have access by one Spirit to the Father. It is the Holy Spirit, I believe, that moves upon our hearts to cry out, Abba Father, that compels us to move into his presence, that draws us into that relationship with a heavenly Father. Pentecost is certainly an experience. I remember my own experience. I'd accepted Christ in February of 1980. 
And in July of 1980, I was baptized in water in a river, and it was a lot of fun. A snake came wiggling by. <laughs> that night, we had a guest speaker, and that guest speaker talked about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't grow up anything, so I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I was still absolutely fascinated and full of wonder over the fact that God called me his. And when she talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit that night, I, felt, I sensed a stirring in my spirit. It's one of those moments where your palms grow sweaty, your heart starts beating so fast that you can't even count all the beats. And then she gave the invitation. Anyone who would like to receive this baptism in the Holy Spirit, come and let us pray for you. That was the only time in my life I ever sat on the back row. And I was sitting in the back row, and my hands were gripping the pew in front of me. I think I still have fingerprints in that pew, if you were to go and to look, because I was gripping that hard. In one ear, the devil was whispering to me and saying to me, these people are crazy. You've got to get out of here. If you leave right now, no one will miss you and no one will ever come looking for you. You just need to run. Get out of this place right now. But then there's the voice of the Spirit. And he spoke to me calmly and lovingly and said, Daughter, if you were to die tonight and face the Father and he asked you why you didn't receive a gift that he had for you, what would be your response? Needless to say, that did it. I ran to the front, and the Lord filled me with the Holy Spirit. Now, that was my experience. Experiences are personal. It may not be your experience, but I say that to tell you whatever the experience is, it will be yours. Pentecost is certainly an experience, but it's not a once-and-done experience. You don't just get baptized in the Holy Spirit once and then run off of that for the rest of your life. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 sums up the application of this grand experience. Do not be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Spirit. The be being filled is written in a present passive imperative form. It carries with it both punctiliar and linear activities. Now that sounds like a bunch of grammatical gobbledygook, but let me make it plain. Punctiliar is something that takes place in a specific moment. It is a locked-in specific moment in time when something takes place, when something has happened, when something's been done. And because of this punctiliar event, there is now a linear responsibility. There is now a linear, ongoing experience that is ours. In plain English, Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and filled each one of them with divine presence and power. Because of that punctiliar event, that point in time, they are now responsible for continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, we can get filled with the Holy Spirit and leak out. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be hard hit with life and circumstances and situations and need a fresh filling, need a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. We may have the initial experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we must, in linear continuation, 
Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is our application. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now for the awakening. Jesus, help us to get it. Help us to catch it. Because only you can do that. Jesus has given his final instructions to the disciples and he's clear on his wishes. They are to wait in Jerusalem until they are clothed with power from on high. There are really only two elements to his instructions. What they are to do, which is to wait, and where they are to do it, which is Jerusalem. They've received the word of the Lord, and even though the gospel burned in their hearts and their feet longed to run out to the fields of harvest, still Jesus told them to wait. There was more to come. There was going to be some crowning event that would empower their proclamation. And so these disciples, in obedience to the Lord, did exactly what he asked them to do. They waited. I can do some things well, but wait's not one of them. Can you imagine? They've seen him risen, resurrected. They saw him ascend into the heavens. And then they're told to wait. But when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Luke's word choice is intentional. When the day had fully come, it wasn't halfway there. It wasn't just beginning to be there. It had fully come. From the first recorded Pentecost in Exodus 19 to this day, more than a millennia has passed. This Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, much like the first one recorded in Exodus chapter 19, it had a ring of uniqueness to it. The first Pentecost occurred 50 days after Israel made their exit from Egypt. The people of God were gathered around the mountain of God. They heard the trumpet blast. They saw the sight of fire and smoke the quaking of the ground beneath their feet, and with the giving of the law, this group of runaway slaves become the covenant people of God. God uses who he wants to use. God calls who he wants to call. Do not think that because of where you've been and what you've done and who you've been associated with that somehow you are disqualified. God chooses, and we don't get to vote. God chose Israel, this motley group of people, runaway slaves, and he made them the people of God. The law was perfect, but it was incomplete. It served to show the people of God that they were sinners in need of salvation. But as great as the law was, all it could do was show them what they needed. It could not provide redemption for them. The law could not save them. So Pentecost, that Pentecost, served to set the stage for this Pentecost, which was going to be the fulfilling of the promise that in the last days, the Spirit would come. The first thing that we notice about Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of promise. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. Men and women old and young, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, they were all different. 
but they were held together with this common promise and a single commitment. They would do as the Lord had asked and they would wait into, into Jerusalem until they were clothed, not with a title, not with a physical garment, but they were clothed with a dynamic, life-giving, life-changing, life-defining power of the Holy Spirit. You can't help but see the connection between this passage in Acts 2 and the words of Psalm 133. You can hear the echoes of the psalmist in this moment as he sang, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like oil that flowed down Aaron's beard. It is good and it is pleasant for the people of God to be together in unity. It is the place of commanded blessing. And so it was from this position of unity a unity that was born out of diversity, that hope of the prophets and the dreams of a nation are about to be fulfilled with the birth of the church. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were gathered together in one place and suddenly, I love that word suddenly. There's something about suddenly that resonates within my Tigger personality that right now in this moment, it's now. But throughout scripture, suddenly is usually preceded by a very lengthy wait. Israel waited 400 years in Egypt and then suddenly Moses brings them out. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for the son of promise and then suddenly at 90 and 99, they have the child. Suddenly is usually preceded by a long wait. There's someone in this congregation, you need a suddenly, and you've been waiting. Can I tell you, keep breathing in and keep breathing out because God is the God of suddenly. And just when you think that there is no hope, just when you think that the dream and the vision is dead, just when you think that child will never turn back to Jesus, God will give you a suddenly. Just when you think the diagnosis will not change, God will give you a suddenly. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. This is not so different from the sights and sounds heard by Moses and the children of Israel at the mountain of God. This group of Jesus followers huddled in the upper room. They heard a sound from heaven. And it resonated with the experience of Ezekiel. When God asked him if a collection of dried up bones could live, and Ezekiel wisely responded, Lord, you know. That's the indication of someone who's walked with the Lord for just a minute. When God asks a question, you simply say, Lord, you know. Because you know that whatever answer you give is going to be completely eclipsed by what the Lord is going to say. Ezekiel responded, Lord, you know. Then Ezekiel hears the sound of rattling bones as God puts these calcified pieces of Israel back together again, wraps them in flesh and blood, and breathes life into them again. This sound from heaven is an indication of power. Life-giving, life-defining, life-changing power. Church, we need that kind of power in us, in our midst. 
I counsel with so many people throughout the week and my number one thing after I'm finished is to pray for them and say, Jesus, what they need, I can't give to them. They need your power, Jesus. They need your power to break the chains. They need your power to change their minds. They need your power to heal their marriage and their heart. It's an indication of power, not the limited, corrupted power of this world that tries so hard to be something that it can never be. It's the sound of sovereign power, power that can turn a group of runaway slaves into the people of God, power that can put life back into dried up bones, power that can infuse and change a motley group into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place and, they, and a sound came from heaven, a noise like a rushing violent wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Israel had first experienced separation from God because of sin and then physical separation from his presence because of the strict laws and the heavy curtains that surrounded the presence of God in the temple. From a distance, Israel could watch the glory of God as he descended on the mountain and later they could see the glory of God's presence fill the Holy of Holies in the wilderness. At first it was fear and sin that kept them from drawing near and then it was the law that prevented them from entering in to direct contact with God, allowing only the high priest one time a year to enter in. But through the heavy veil of sin and oppression, there are occasional glimpses of what was to come. Solomon is going to dedicate his temple and offer it unto the Lord. And God would so accept what he offered that he would fill that temple with so much of his presence that even the priests would not be able to stand and minister. Isaiah is going to get a glimpse of this in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he saw the presence of the Lord and all he could do is say, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. But on this Pentecost, <laughs> because the great high priest, the one after the order of Melchizedek had presented himself and the final, spinal, final spotless offering for the sins of humanity had been made. That veil that separated God from humanity, it was ripped from top to bottom. And now every son and every daughter can boldly go into the presence of God, can boldly go in to the Holy of Holies and approach the throne of God. And on this Pentecost in Acts chapter two, it wasn't the realm of humanity trying to push in to the presence of God. Oh no, it was the presence of God that pushed itself into the realm of humanity. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He came to us first through the saving presence of his son and then through the empowering presence of his Holy Spirit. The presence of God came down and the people and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit clothed the people of God. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place and there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. 
from the burnt offerings described in Leviticus, the fiery coal taken off the altar of God to touch the lips of Isaiah, even the fire shut up in Jeremiah's bones and the description of God himself as an all-consuming fire, this element reminds us that as surely as God fills and empowers through the person of the Holy Spirit, he also purifies Our God is holy, and the flaming white passion of his holiness demands purification of his people. So the Holy Spirit sits upon the first disciples, and much like the fire of God descending upon the acceptable sacrifice, this group becomes living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place and there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves as they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What a remarkable way to indicate the the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the inauguration of the kingdom of God in the realm of time. It was a new language, a language that would identify this event. At the beginning of history's common language, at the beginning of history, a common language was shared by all humanity. They used that commonality with the Tower of Babel to try and build a tower that would get them to God and eventually usurp the throne of God. But God came down and confused their language and their enterprise was abandoned. But on this day, on this blessed day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, the Holy Spirit confirmed the arrival of the kingdom of God by giving the people of God a common language, the language of the Spirit. A language that would be spoken in tones of faith and love. A language that would be pure and undefiled. And the product of this language would be unity an active participation in and submission to the kingdom that has come, that is coming, and will keep on coming. So when the day of Pentecost had finally come, they were all together in one place, and there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. Everything that God does has a purpose. We may not always see and understand that purpose, but it is certainly there. This day of Pentecost had marked the birth of the church, had highlighted the power of unity, described the powerful and prophetic arrival of the Holy Spirit, and it had a specific purpose, the preaching of the gospel. Tongues were given to us not as a toy to be played with, but as a tool to be used to reach every tribe and every nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the mountain of God, law was given and a nation was born. Here in Jerusalem, the spirit is given and the church is born. When the church of Jesus hungers for the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit, there will be an exalting of the person of Jesus and the declaration of his kingdom in both our words and our deeds. And when we speak in the language of his kingdom, then all nations will be able to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. What then can we say to this truth except Holy Spirit, 
you're welcome in this place. We are hungry for the glorious presence of God. Fill us as we seek to be in harmony with your will. Fill us until we are purified. Fill us until we're resting in your power. Fill us until your presence on earth is accomplished. So here's the invitation this morning. I hope you're hungry for the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. As Pastor Dan already mentioned, we are going to continue praying and seeking for the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit in our prayer service tonight. But this morning, if you are in this house and you are saying, I need more, I need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, I invite you, just come forward because there is something relevant about moving from the place where you are and just coming to the front. It's your way of saying, I won't go back. I can't stay where I am. I want more of this Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be filled with more of the power and the presence of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name, King Jesus. Blessed be your name, Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. You are worthy. You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, move on the hearts of your people. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Make a way where it doesn't look like there is a way. Where there is no hunger, put hunger for the things of your kingdom and the things of your spirit. Holy Spirit, we won't go back to where we were. We don't want to be who we used to be. But we need for your power to come upon us. We need for you to fill us. Lord Jesus, in similar fashion to the events of Acts chapter 2. We've gathered in this place. And now, my Father, on this day of Pentecost, we ask you to come again. Mighty rushing wind, shake us up. Let fire be imparted to us. Let us speak with a new language. Fill us so much, Holy Spirit, that all the garbage has to go. Fill us, Holy Spirit, to all the things that would hold us back, to all the things that would keep us from walking with you and being that which you've destined us to be. Fill us, Jesus, until we are wholly yours. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name.